Bangley Bang. On the Emperor Podcast this week, we talk with the fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes, Jamie Fox himself, the star of Just Mercy, pops by for a lovely chat. Plus, all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has bought a job lot of Gwyneth Paltrow candles and has lit them. And quite <laughs> frankly, the Podbooth guys smells, well, a bit weird. <laughs> a bit, a little bit funny. Funny. A little bit funny. I don't know what it is. It's just... Can you place that smell? I certainly cannot. No. It smells, it smells like burning feathers to me. I don't know <laughs> if that's intentional. But uh. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Uh, this week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is James... I was going to say James Cameron. I don't know why. <laughs> James Cameron, who has joined us fresh from the set of Avatar 63 to be on the podcast. It's, yeah. great, it's great to be here, Chris. It is. Uh, it is great or to have James Or as they say in Navi, Dyer. Hello. <laughs> I, I see you. I see you, James Dyer. James Dyer is here, everybody. Round of applause. Thank you. Uh, and also, a Empire podcast would not be complete without our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. How the devil are you? Hi, I'm good. I've you're not good, are you? Though? No, you're not I've good. You're dressed like you're going skiing. Yeah, I'm drinking a, a Lemsip also. You're drinking a Lemsip, wearing a scarf and a coat. Yeah. In an otherwise and, balmy pod booth. And uh, whatever this is, like the flannelly stuff. Under Clothes, the, Helen. Yeah, no, but under mm. like flannelly stuff, basically. Um, I have a cold. Helen is where I was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So yep. at the point of death. At the point of death. <laughs> wow. But I'm recovering faster than him, so it'll be yeah. all right. I, I still have something. Yeah. Uh, okay. I hope I'm recovering faster. Yeah. Uh, run away from the light, Helen. Come to <laughs> us. You, Come to you. us. Come back to the Empire <laughs> podcast. Uh, shall we talk about Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina candle? No. <laughs> no <I think laughs> They've sold out. You can't they have buy them. sold out, which and is the amazing It's thing. important I emphasize I don't know that because I tried. I read. <laughs> <laughs> I read. It's the biggest laundry section in Ireland. <laughs> so I understand. So I, read. <laughs> <laughs> I read that they have sold out. Her yeah. vagina candles have sold out. That's not easy. Should we, should we explain to people what this is? There is a there is a, a candle a scented candle now available from I believe Goop Goop which is her lifestyle brand which I have to say I have a lip balm from Goop it is not scented with now, any body parts what, of any what, where does where is this lip balm applied which, I mean do not no, to, to do, my mouth right okay, okay just, just checking <laughs> okay. frankly most of the things sold on that site seem to be inserted into orifices that's my no, understanding I, no I well I no. Um, <laughs> just now it's a perfectly good lip balm I like it a lot uh, so what does it I'm, smell of? it doesn't smell of anything right. it's not a smelly thing thank god now that I know what the alternatives are okay so this is a candle so this yes. is a candle it's produced by Goop yeah well yes or in, in association with some fancy candle company uh-huh. presumably yes. on purpose who apparently uh, were inspired by the natural body odour of various parts of their founder. So, so but principally, <laughs> let's not dance around this. Yeah. Principally, Gwyneth Paltrow's holiest of holies. Now, it says on the side of this candle. <laughs> I never thought I'd say those words on the podcast. Some kind of posh typeface. This uh-huh. candle smells like my vagina. So it's quite on the nose. Well, not really nose, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, so it's, it's but but mine is saying now is it is it 
her vagina specifically? Or is it because I read a thing that it stems from a quote unquote joke whereby when smelling the vagina, she smelling the vagina, (laughs) smelling the candle, she said, this smells like vagina. And maybe that was kind of a gag. And then it turned into a product Uh, and not and not that they said, hey, Gwyneth, here's a great idea. Can you give us a sample? Could you give us a sample? You know, Drop, drop your drawers I, and we'll, that, you know. That sounds a lot more plausible than literally any other <laughs> yeah. um, possibility. Yes. And let's please believe that that is yeah. the truth because anything else is you know. just too upsetting. Musk is to Paltrow. It, it's just a shaped like a conventional candle. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not, like it's, it. not, no, it's, it's not, not like, you know. No. Okay, it's not redolent of. No. no. It's not. Just uh, stop there, Chris. No, it is. I think it's best for everybody if I do. I think it is, mm. yes. Okay. Uh, did you see the other story about her la- this week? She is on the cover of one of the women's magazines, I forget which one, wearing a £15,000 Tom Ford breastplate. Yes, thing, right? the one that... Uh, yes. yes. So then Zendaya wore it to an event last weekend, I forget which one, Critics' Choice Awards, I think. Mm-hmm. Let's go with that. Um, and... and Gwyneth's magazine cover had come out first and she goes in response to this oh my goodness I finally have something in common with Zendaya this is amazing to which somebody replied Gwyneth you were in a movie together <laughs> 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 so she has once again forgotten that she was in a Spider-Man movie that's so amazing. that's adorable it's quite it's, quite, it's like a metallic pink breastplate yeah which wouldn't look out of place in The Witcher look both of them look good in it no mm. no shade yeah. here whatsoever no. what, but, what, yeah. uh, what did it smell like? I wasn't privy to right. that information. Chris Martin's arse. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> An unexpected bouquet. It's all yellow. Oh. Wow. I'll fix you in a second. <laughs> anyway. Right. Anyway, should we have a question? Oh, yes. Thank God. I was reading this week, someone was uh, on, tw- on Twitter going, asking for podcast recommendations, and they were like, I don't want any of those podcasts <laughs> where the hosts spent the first five to ten minutes just asking each other how they are. <laughs> And then someone recommended this podcast, and I was like, oh, oh boy. No, that's not good. That's not, maybe skip the first this 10 does minutes. not meet your needs. In fact, ideally, skip the first 50, and you should be fine. Uh, anyway, let's get straight into a question. Sure. We're, we're going to be, uh, we're going to expedite the process, uh, this very, very podcast, by getting straight into it. No dilly dallying, no beating around the bush. Previous story accepted. Oh, God. I'm going to straight into it. Here we go. Here's a question, and it comes from. Los Tres Amigos Pod, Tres Amigos Pod on Twitter, at Tres Amigos Pod on Twitter. And they ask, what is your favourite and least favourite movie in the 11 Academy Award nominations club? Mm-hmm. Now, this is obviously because the ranks of this illustrious club have been swelled this week by one new member, mm-hmm. Helen's favourite film of last year, mm-hmm. The Joker. Joker. Mm-hmm. Joker. Oh, sorry, you always correct me because I always, always get the name wrong. And I know you love it so much. Mm-hmm. So Joker got 11 Academy Award nominations this week uh, for Best What the Fuck <laughs> and Best Huh? But we'll get on to that in a minute. Um, first of all, the 11 Academy Award nominations club, helpfully, Tresamigos Pod have given us a full list. That is helpful. It is very helpful. Joker. Yep, apparently. Life of Pi. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hugo, mm. The Aviator. Wow! So, like, literally two of Martin Scorsese's worst films <laughs> <laughs> were nominated for more Academy Awards than oh, I don't know, the good ones. Anyway, The Return of the King, Out of Africa, Amadeus, Terms of Endearment, Gandhi. The Godfather Part 2. Now, hold on to that one. That might be the winner. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oliver. 
and West Side Story. That's a pretty terrible list. <laughs> to have with to a say. couple of exceptions. Yay. With a couple of yeah. exceptions. Yeah, with one of the greatest movies of all time uh, on there. And, West and Side the Godfather Story, Party. And, and the, the Godfather Party, Party <laughs> obviously. Uh, but that's not a great list, I'm saying. Well, no, in fairness, like 11 is not the maximum, so there are films with more Ooh. for a start. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's important to note. Titanic, um, Avengers Endgame. Uh, Avatar. Oh, sadly, sort of one of those. Which film has been uh, nominated for the most? For the Not least. won the most, but <laughs> nominated, nominated for the most. Um, I think it's 14 is the record for nominations, isn't okay. it? And I think it is held by Titanic and and uh, uh, Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur and and both of which won Avatar. 13, am I right in saying? Pretty sure Avatar so, got 14. Avatar didn't no. win. Didn't they win. Didn't win. No, the, 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 the most wins is 11. Is, 11. is that 11? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's Titanic and Ben-Hur. Yeah. Okay. My math is not good. No, that's that's totally fair. Um, but I, what I'm saying is that uh, if you were a, an Oscar cynic in any way, shape, or form, mm. and you thought that maybe they don't necessarily reward the or reflect the best movies of that particular year, I think this is a pretty damning list. Yes, I agree. Yeah, because of one of the films that most recently was added to it. Well, this then. list smells like my no, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is Chris Martin's arse. <laughs> Yeah, it's not good, is it? Uh, I mean, Godfather Part Two is undisputedly the best film on the list. What's the worst? No, but they asked for favourite, so I'm saying uh, that's easy. Return of the King. Yeah. Ooh. Return of the King. The worst is is you know what I'm going to say. So out of Africa is no is Joker, but um, but the one I, I mean, and it's also the one I just don't think should be anywhere near eleven. Um, but then that's true of quite a few of those. I don't think. I, honestly, I'm looking at this list and I think very few of those mm-hmm. should have even been near, you know, Six. two or three. Yeah, yeah. Never mind eleven. Uh, Life of Pi, which obviously won Ang Lee Best Director. Yeah. I mean, who thinks I'm, of Life of Pi these days no, apart I, from his technological it's advances? It's fine. And, no, it's good. It's fine. It's not Ang Lee's best. No, it's not. And that's that, that's a as I said that runs through that's a theme that runs through this. I mean, Hugo yeah. and the Aviator both getting eleven nominations and Goodfellas and Raging Bull and King yeah. of Comedy yeah. being overlooked is a mm. bit of a farce, quite frankly. The Return of the King being nominated for eleven Oscars and having that sort of victory lap and you yeah. know that you know well done on getting through it all. all. Of them, yeah. So here have a load of Oscars. The least good of the three. Well, I th- I, that, people, that is true. People, I mean, it's still a pretty great that was a great film, film but, but it is yeah by some margin the least good of the three. I just watched them. Again. Recently, my god, they're so good still. Yeah, but Return of the King, I think, and if you watch the extended editions, Return of the King fares the poorest from that because you really feel it drag in the extended edition. You do get the highest which, healing, though. Yeah, but and you and you get the mouth of Sauron as well. Uh, but I just, yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't work. Whereas I think extended definitely enhances fellowship and definitely enhances two yeah, titles. But that's I, fair. in Return of the King, it's just like make it stop. <laughs> it was so long to begin with. Uh, out of Africa. I mean, it's, it's yeah, I can't. It's I fine, mean, but it's, it's the abso- bit where he's washing her hair, which is pretty hot. But apart from that, but mm. for me, it's absolutely that sort of anodyne mm. Oscar yeah. movie. The eighties were not a great time for the Oscars. Let's be honest. Amadeus, I have obviously said in the podcast before that I think is boring as a dog's ass, and I, people have yelled at me. Yeah, I <laughs> um, love Amadeus. About that, so I really need to revisit Amadeus. I um, love Amadeus. I have actually an Amadeus duck. You know when you get those little um, rubber ducks. I have uh-huh. an Amadeus rubber duck that I got in Salzburg, which is where Mozart lived. And uh, and he has the hair with the pink and the blue in the hair and everything. Anyway, I'm a huge Amadeus fan. I think it's great. Does it smell like Tom Hulse's? No. Okay. F. Murray M. No. no. Terms uh-huh. of Endearment. I mean, 11 no. Oscars for that. 11 yeah. Oscar nominations for that. Jesus Christ. No. Uh, Gandhi, again, 
Now, who's thinking about Gandhi these days? Ben Kingsley. Sir Ben. Sir Ben. Sir Ben. Sir Gandhi. Uh, the Godfather Part 2 is the JIT, one of the greatest films of all time. Still not as good fine. as The Godfather Part 1, and you're I will brook no argument on this matter. Well, I'm about to argue with you. You're an oh idiot. Um, Oliver, uh, genuinely brilliant. I think there was a, a pre-recognition of my seminal performance. I knew you were going to say this. You only like it because you were basically in a cover version. <laughs> it wasn't in a cover version. Ron Moody was doing me. Um just, uh, I should rephrase that. Uh, anyway, and then oh <laughs> West Side Story. No one can quibble with West Side Story, right? Right? I mean, I just don't think that's you? how you fight, is it? <laughs> Clicking yeah. your fingers. Low very, down, low centre of gravity. Ballet, the verisimilitude of the gang warfare does not sit right with Helen. <laughs> Yeah, I wait Steven Spielberg's <clears throat> version until I'm. Yeah, which, which will be a lot stabbier, presumably, and therefore That's more probably accurate. about as stabby, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Is it set in Camden? Let's answer the question before we move sure. on to um, hopefully not Helen eviscerating Joker like she did uh, so wonderfully entertainingly on the movie of the year podcast if you haven't listened to that already there's a good five minutes uh, in there where Helen we just basically turned down our microphones and let her let her rip um, but favourite least favourite from that from that list Helen go favourite first um, Lord of the Rings Lord of the Rings Return of the King alright least favourite go genuinely Joker sorry that's totally fine I fucking hate it <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, what I like about I you, Hannah, is you don't equivocate. <laughs> don't sit in the fence there, O'Hara. Uh, James. Favourite. Ooh, it's, 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 oh, it's very hard to pick between those two. I might go Godfather, actually. Over, if it was any other Lord of the Rings film, definitely. But over Return of the King, I'd take Godfather Part 2. Uh, and least favourite. That's tricky. I might say Hugo, because fuck him. What? Harsh. Not, not because it's like the worst. He's a poor it's just orphan. You it's monster. Just, it's so tedious. I can't. I You're can't. so tedious. <laughs> May well be true, but yeah, Hugo doesn't do it for me. He's not meant to. <laughs> I'm just saying it doesn't. It doesn't. That film does just no. There's an I will ultimatum. Never, no matter. No, 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 no. The Bourne Ultimatum is a much better film. This, this. As if I live awesome. to be 150, I will never, ever, ever rewatch Hugo. Let's really hope you don't. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. you know. Obviously, stick around for the next few years, but mm. beyond that, once you hit 50, it's downhill. <laughs> uh, right. My favourite is Godfather Part 2. My least favourite on that list. Oh, Jesus. I mean, I'm not as anti Joker as Helen, but I'm pretty anti it. I'd have, yeah, I'd, you know what? I'd have to go for. Really? I'd have to go for Joker out of Africa. You'd pick fucking Hugo over Joker. Oh I'd, God, I'd, watch, I'd watch Hugo ahead of Joker again, yes, absolutely. Hugo is genuinely about the joy of cinema and the magic of cinema. Yes, you and immediately see the problem nothing, here. Nothing. <laughs> well, neither. Two of these sure. movies have Sir Ben Kingsley in them. Yeah. That's true. Hmm. Hmm, think on that. He's your 11 Oscar man, is he? All right. So let's use this then to segue seamlessly into discussing the Academy Awards and then we'll segue mm. even more seamlessly into discussing the rest of the week's movie news and it has been a bit of a barnstorming week mm. for the old movie news but yes, we should talk about the fact that this week the nominations were announced for the 755... Uh, 92nd. 92nd. Mm. 92nd, thank you, Helen. The 92nd Academy Awards. This was a very, mm. very close-run nomination. So you had Joker on 11, you had a bunch on 10, Irishman was on 10, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was on 10, and 
another one. <laughs> what was it? 1917. Helen. Was on ten, I believe, and then Marriage there were a bunch on six as well. Little Women's on six, yeah. So, Rabbit so there were lots of like, yeah. there was lots of groupings in this, mm. jostling for positions for numbers. Um, it's really interesting to see that Little Women was uh, is one of the first films to go out that didn't actually have a director. So that's nice. It was a completely undirected film. These films yeah. that direct yeah. themselves, it's like the Uber self-driving car, it's yeah. like mm. the Tesla. It's a lot like It's that. incredible. It's mm. impressive. It yeah. does not make sense. It does not make sense when a film gets nominated in so many categories. Therefore, it's obviously a great film that they just ignore the director. But this is the problem of having 10... Uh, nominees or up to ten nominees mm. for best picture. I guess that you know some of those are apparently not going to be directed or yeah. edited. Did you um, see the thing this week? I had seen it before. I was going around a couple of years ago, but the uh, I don't know how this happened, and it almost certainly would not happen today. But um, on the day the nominations were announced in 1975, I want to say maybe 1976, uh, Spielberg had a camera crew with him because they were expecting Jaws to sweep the board oh, and boy. nominations and. It literally starts off with him. There's, a, there's an amazing clip. Check my Twitter feed. I retweeted it uh, the, the other day. And it starts off with him going, I am Steve Spielberg. And uh, today we're very confident that Jaws is going to be nominated for uh, all sorts of Academy Awards. And uh, you follow along. And he has two like acolytes who are with him. And he doesn't get nominated for Best Director. And his face, is just, he's trying so hard just to go, oh, yeah, whatever. Fine. Totally fine. Uh, and then... Like everything after that is slightly tempered by that, and mm. his mates are going, "This is bullshit." Yeah, well, you know, what a jaws direct itself, that kind of thing, just would never be allowed to happen these days. It's, mm. it's incredibly. Well, I think what's happening is people are filming on their phones as the nominations are yes. announced. They're only posting it, yeah, and they're deleting it the right when it doesn't work. Was well, it Florence, Florence Pugh? Florence Pugh got bus. a little carried away yeah. and managed to post herself in the nud, responding yes. to it. In fairness, she had put emojis over any relevant bit. She so put it was fine. nipple avocados yeah. on her picture. Yes. <laughs> That's not a euphemism. <laughs> They're literally avocado emojis yeah, on yeah. her nipples. Um, but uh, this yeah. is an incredible podcast. We discuss <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow's <laughs> and now Florence Pugh's nipples. Oh. Is... <laughs> Good lord, gentlemen! Uh, no, look, it was it was a, it, tremendously disappointing. Oscars, I think, and, and a very safe, boring selection of nominees in a lot of ways. <laughs> Um, and not obviously, terribly diverse again? Not diverse. There's only one acting nominee of colour. That's Cynthia Revo mm. for Harriet. And, and that again, was a surprise, wasn't that's it? That's a bit of a surprise. Where did that come from? Because she is fantastic in that film. The film is, I think, just good at best. Yeah. Um, and uh, But I, I love her and I think she's great and I think she's great in it. But it is not the nomination that I was necessarily expecting that category I would have thought Aquafina for The Farewell mm. would have been ahead of her I would have thought that Lupita Nyong'o for Us would have been ahead of her yeah, um, they were never going to give it to her and I film. definitely thought Jennifer Lopez was in with a shot at Best Supporting Actress and I think her mission in that category is probably I mean it might even be ahead of my outrage over Greta Gerwig not getting a Best Director nomination um, it is absolutely <clears throat> verging on unforgivable. I don't understand how you don't nominate that performance. I think people have pointed out that the slightly worrying narrative of this, um, now, uh, it was a, someone from Rotten Tomatoes, and I apologise, I've forgotten her name, uh, did some crunching of the numbers. 34 black women have been nominated for Oscars over the entirety of Oscar history, um, supporting our um, main roles. And well over half, I think it's now 22 of them, were nominated for playing slaves, maids, or women living in abject poverty. Mm. Um, that's not 
great, guys. That's really not great. And I think when you've overlooked, you know, Aquafina playing a middle class person, Lupita Nyong'o playing a middle class person, um, Jennifer Lopez playing this incredibly fierce, independent woman in favour of the person who played a slave, it looks really super bad. Um, so I, that's mm. troublesome. Um, but to get back to the Greta Gerwig thing, I mean, I think this is also really disappointing because you have here a person who is a cinephile, who is, you know, living with another, like, heralded independent director who is very much uh, as privileged as you could possibly be, as uh, has the CV you could possibly wish for for an auteur, um, is a previous nominee even in this category. If she can't get a nomination for directing Little Women... That is so depressing for the chances of every other female director out there, especially for directors of colour who are facing a much you know bigger uphill battle to be accepted as an auteur, as a as a you know an independent director by their peers, and it is just it is just really depressing because Little Women is I'm sorry guys if you haven't seen it it's one of the best films of the year it is absolutely head and shoulders above the fucking Joker, and uh, for that not to be nominated makes absolutely no sense to me um i hope that she'll get the adapted screenplay prize as some kind of apology because quite frankly it's outrageous but it it just if if she can't get a nomination then who the fuck can she just adapted five people yeah five men yeah that's great but like she she just adapted a classic book she did it brilliantly it's been a big box office success it's glossy it's got big stars in it what the fuck do you need you know if that ticks all the Oscar boxes and she can't get a nomination? Ridiculous. Anyway, but I'm very, very Sorry, pleased Helen, that Parasite is She didn't direct Walking Phoenix Dancing Down Some Steps, That's so therefore true. I'm going to I'm very to, pleased, uh, however, that Parasite is all over these nominations like a rash. And or like a Parasite. That is now, <laughs> hey, and that is now my favoured um, nominee in, in most of its categories. Um, I feel like I want to give you 30 seconds on Joker, but also I... I I feel that that might be a bad can we can we idea. can we take a moment to talk about how to train your dragon in the hidden world okay like, how did that happen like that that was I think that probably how did, you, how did that get nominated how did they it's get a nominated good movie. no but it's just it's a it's a good it's a fine it's a three star film I mean it's absolutely fine but it's not an Oscar movie and I was quite surprised to see that in there and not Frozen 2 to be perfectly honest I didn't think Frozen 2 was as good as Frozen. Um, and I think that the animation in the Hydra Trainer Dragon series has always been great. They it has one, been great, yeah. They were they, the ones who had Roger Deakins mm. like, um, consulting on their cinematography from, from day one. Yeah, their visuals are very, very good. I did think the third film was the weakest in that particular series. Though. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think some of the... We, we talked about it at the time, but some mm. of the storytelling decisions weren't so great. Um, but it's, it's an odd category animation this year because um, I didn't... It doesn't feel like it's been a great year for animation. Much as I enjoyed Missing Link, um, I would mm-hmm. probably have maybe even have given a nod to Shaun the Sheep Farmageddon because mm-hmm. I thought that was super charming. But, you know, there, there's been some great uh, independent animation this year, stuff like I Lost My Body, but it, it doesn't feel like it's been a banner year for animation in the way it sometimes does. Um, maybe that's because I, I tend to feel this way often when the Pixar movie slightly underwhelms me, mm. which Toy Story 4 slightly did. I like it, admire I, it. I was I very underwhelmed by it. Pixar's, but it's not It's not up to their very, very best for me. Um, so it feels like an odd year for animation. So that category is not quite as exciting as it sometimes is. I, I think, weirdly, I'm feeling more cynical this year, even for me, than most other years. And it's more because I feel like 
you know, we're all having these discussions as if these things are voted for on merit. And increasingly, I just feel a little bit like this is a selection of people the Academy voters like, either mm-hmm. personally or professionally, and films they just happen to have seen. And there is I, a I lot think of in some cases on, they yeah. wouldn't even have seen the films. They just, yeah. they, well, they've heard they, of. Yeah. They they've vote, seen they, the poster. They vote in herds. Yeah. I think that's genuinely what happens. Mm-hmm. I think oh, what's what's good right. this year? That, oh, that, that Joker film. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what for and, every category. Which explains, and I, and I don't want to sound like I'm dissing anyone's contribution to a motion picture, because uh, I'm not, because these are all craftsmen and craftswomen mm-hmm. at, the, at the peak of their powers in many, many cases. But nominating that movie for costume and makeup seems strange to me. Also, like... Uh, hey-ho. You know, we're talking, you know, costume nominations. It ha- It was... I was alerted to the fact on Twitter someone did point out Star Wars never gets nominated for costumes it does get nominated for effects now I would argue the costumes in Star Wars are Mm. better than the effects in Mm. Star Wars yeah but people people I think just think oh it's just robes but it's it's just like you know period stuff is lovely but some of the costume design in Rise of Skywalker is incredible Mm -hmm. and again completely and utterly just meh yeah, it's yeah, it's it's actually genuinely quite weird. I think, mm. but then it's always been the case with costumes that certain eras are overrepresented and certain genres are overrepresented, and others are completely overlooked. Um, but I kind of agree, I, and also like you know, again with the greatest of respect, The Irishman, which is a film I really admired, I would not have put those costumes above, say, Dolomite is my name. Oh, absolutely, um, which are which is a much much tougher job, I think. Yeah, speaking of um, overlooked films. Yeah, well, indeed, yeah. and. Uh, so I think, yeah, there's some, there's some really odd gaps. And I do think there's an element of we vote for what we know. I think in the past, like the animation branch um, has always been quite interesting to watch because they shortlist their nominations and then the wider yeah. um, public of the, of the Oscars voters vote for them. And that's why you've been able to get things like, you know, the cartoon saloon films have gone in there, even though most Oscar voters obviously don't watch them. Um, it's because they've been kind of fighting the, the good fight for the smaller films. And I feel like those smaller branches of the Academy tend to give you better results sometimes mm. than the bigger ones. And maybe we need to see a bit more of that, almost kind of juries. So you'd be on the kind of jury, you'd actually watch all of the films in total mm. before voting and then you would vote and then you'd have a year off and not have to nominate and not have to watch everything. Yeah. Um, but there's got to be something because I just feel like, you know, we're getting into this situation where people clearly aren't watching a lot of the things they're assuming. And, and again, this is historically a problem with female directed films, with films directed by people of colour, with foreign films, that people think that's not for me. Um, you know, Bong Joon-ho at the Golden Globes talked about the, what was it, the one inch wall that you have to jump over um, in order to enjoy a foreign film, the one inch of the subtitles that you have to jump over. And people just aren't willing to do that. And I'm sorry, if you're an Oscar voter, you should do that. Yeah. And if 100%. you're not willing to do that, that's absolutely fine. But then don't vote in that category. Mm. Um, there should be some sort of mandatory, you know, you have to have they have to have logged the fact that you've seen it somehow. Mm. It feels very disingenuous. You mentioned the branches there. It was interesting, I found the nominations, that they, they made a real point of delineating between the branches and who's voting for which awards and this is nominated by the animation branch mm. and this is nominated by the editing branch. I thought that was interesting because we've not had that before. Also, the best uh, foreign language film or best film, not in the English language, is now retitled, is it not? Mm-hmm. Which is just, is it best international film now? That's correct. Which makes it all the more weird that they, was it Nigeria's entry that they ruled out because it was mostly in English? Yeah, and that was that makes year. no sense. That then. makes no sense at all anymore. But yeah. you know, uh, we should probably we should talk very quickly talk about the the uh, Thanos-sized elephant in the room. 
Avengers Endgame, the biggest film of all time. Listen, I don't think that... I I'm okay. I'm a little bit surprised, genuinely, that mm. it didn't get that many nominations. It, it, it mainly one, because right? it got one nomination for best visual effects. Mm. The writing's been on the wall for for a long, long time. Yep. that this was it was going to go this way. Uh, but I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't do the Lord of the Rings thing that we discussed earlier on with Return of the King, which is you've well done on bringing it home. Well done also on the biggest move of all time, which is how Titanic and Avatar got all those nominations. Yeah, and it's not, it's uh, not it Chris. Well, <laughs> I, I honestly, you should, and I'm not saying that Marty exercised his uh, veto, which he of course has, <laughs> Vito Corleone, of course. Mm. Uh, but uh, oh I, uh, sorry, I, I think that in this case, that sort of hoo-ha around Scorsese definitely worked against this because I think it cast into light the narrative, rightly or wrongly, the proper filmmakers look down on these films. And I yeah, think when absolutely. it comes to voting, they probably just felt, oh, I can't vote for that. It's not just, it's not just this, though. It's yeah. comedies. It's comedies and yeah. horror, which yeah. is why yeah. Lupita Nyong'o is not being nominated for Best Actress for Us when I might actually argue she's given the best performance of anybody I in that field this year. probably agree. Uh, or performances, rather, in the, in the one movie. But it's also comedy. For example, in the last few years, Adam McKay has won an Oscar for The Big Short. And last year, they gave an Oscar to Peter Farrelly mm-hmm. for Green Book. And this year, there is a, a chance that Todd Phillips might win an Oscar for Joker. So that means in the last few years, and listen, I love The Big Short, I think it's fantastic, mm. but that means in the last few years, the directors of Anchorman, Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> and Road Trip, have have won or will all win Oscars for quote-unquote proper movies, whereas their true masterpieces, <laughs> genuinely, Anchorman, Dumb and Dumber, and Road Trip. Wow. <laughs> right. wow. I, re- I realized I was on shaky ground there. <laughs> I don't think Todd Phillips has made a masterpiece. So I'll, I'll put it out there. But, you know, yeah. The Hangover and mm-hmm. Starsky sure, Hatch, sure. I enjoy those films. Uh, Jude Date, I enjoy that film. But the snobbery that the Academy has towards oh, yeah, comedy is extraordinary. And the snobbery it has towards, yes, Black Panther last year got a lot of nominations mm-hmm. and won some uh, you know, some decent categories yep. as well. And I, listen, I don't think for a second that Endgame was going to win anything. But I, th- I think this was, may be the first time I, it hasn't I think happened. also um, there was a little bit of um, I think there was a sense of presumption about it at the time that I think offended people as well. And I think, you know, there was there was talk of Disney campaigning for acting awards, and I think people immediately laughed that off. Yeah. Immediately laughed that off. And there was there this was a sense a of film. look, you are the biggest studio in town, and it's not even close right now. You are, are the biggest thing at the box office, and it's not even close right now. Fuck off. You've got enough, and I think there were. There, I think to to Disney's credit and to to Kevin Feige's credit and Marvel's credit, they they kind of took that on board and and stopped campaigning essentially. Yeah, I and mean, um, they were campaigning for a while. You know, there was a couple of you know BAFTA Q and A's and whatnot. Yeah. But noticeably, the Russo brothers were uh, you know conspicuous by their absence. They were obviously filming their new movie, but I think the writing was on the wall fairly early for that one. Mm-hmm. But for me, you know, being a the self-parodic cliche that I am sure. uh, I feel that Alan Silvestri has done the, the work of his career in that movie and should have been nominated but uh, and, you know and again we've, we've talked about this before but the work of uh, writing and directing a film like that of getting all those moving parts to work to function as well as they do of delivering emotional heft in that environment is astonishing and to be able to do that is absolutely as astonishing as being able to do anything on a hundred thousand dollar budget you know at a, an independent level, it's an incredible job of work, and it does deserve acknowledgement. But 
But hey, it's not, hey a, it's not a proper film, is it, Helen? Not a proper oh, film. Fucking hell. <laughs> fucking joker, man. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> anyway, now we have ticked our box and we've lit our Kevin Feige candles <laughs> and the smell of Feige oh is filling God. the room. Uh, I'm going to talk very, very quickly about some other major categories and we'll discuss everything else in the preview up to the Can we Oscars. talk about best song quickly? If Cynthia Revo could win for a score for a best song for Stand Up from Harriet, which is actually a very good song, um, and she would at that point complete her EGOT, which would be cool. Empire so, Award, Golden Globe, <laughs> Emmy, Olympian, Grammy, Cinema Award. Okay, Oscar, Tony. Really? Yeah, already. Interesting. Go her. Interesting. So I'm really, really pulling for her in that category. I mean, she's only got to beat like Elton John and the guys from Frozen too. How hard can it be? It's not a great year. It's it's no, not. but at least they didn't. Uh, at least they didn't nominate the Beyonce song from The Lion King, which uh-huh. was such a cynical addition. Yes, I'm very happy and about the that. The Taylor Swift song from Cats. Exactly. So, so okay. fair play to them at least for that. And I think it was actually last year, wasn't it? But every year they they don't nominate upbeat inspirational song about life from Teen Titans Go to the Movies. Mm. And I know it may not have been eligible this year, but fuck it, nominated it anyway. Eligible, it should yeah. have been nominated. It should have won. It's the greatest song. Such a hideous film. Such anyway. Directing. I dare you. Martin Scorsese for The Irishman. Fair. Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Sure. Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. And yep. Sam Mendes for 1917. Yep. And perhaps controversially, <laughs> uh, Martin Scorsese Light for Joker. Now, I'm thinking if you're going to nominate someone who is clearly influenced by Martin Scorsese in this category, <laughs> but um, who's a plowing their own furrow and not just simply doing a bad karaoke version, I would have gone for Lorraine Scafaria for Hustlers. Mm-hmm whose work in that movie reminded me very much of, of peak era Scorsese. Absolutely. Um, and also someone who probably would watch King of Comedy and Taxi Driver and actually understand them. Um, but hey, Todd Phillips, well done. This is, this is, I don't know, I feel like Mendes might get this one. You think? Mm. Do you think? I think it is, yeah, I think he will. I think I'm, I'm genuinely hoping for uh, a parasite sweep of the top categories. I genuinely am. And I think it's not impossible. Bless you, Helen. Bless no, you for your it's, optimism. It's possible. <laughs> uh, apparently, word is that this is, the, this is the one film that nobody seems to have a bad word mm-hmm. to say about. That the, the West Coast voters are apparently a bit sniffy about The Irishman and Joker. And the East Coast voters are a bit sniffy about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But we can all agree so, that Parasite is the bomb. So At the end of the night, you're uh, predicting hits for the bong. <laughs> wow. Okay. Big bong must bend for the actress. Oscars, yeah, let's bung a let's bung a bend for bung, a, bung an Oscar for bong for to win an Oscar or whatever. Uh, actress in a supporting role: Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell, Laura Dern for Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit, Florence Pugh for Little Women, and Margot Robbie for Bombshell. Yeah, I mean, look, it appears to be Laura Dern's to lose, um, judging by every other award show going. Um, Florence Pugh's got to be in with a shout though. Well, I'm just saying, mm. Laura, Laura Dern's the person who's been winning consistently so far. Florence Pugh should be in with a shout. It should be J-Lo's. Yeah, uh, there's some kind of horrendous mistake here where they've <laughs> mistyped her name somehow. I don't know. I guess it's too embarrassing to go back and fix. Um, Kathy Bates is very good in Richard Jewell, but, you know, no one's going to remember that film in five minutes, um, quite frankly. So, And uh, the actress who played, so Xiao Shuzhen, again, I apologise in advance if I've messed it up, uh, the actress who played the grandmother in The Farewell. I oh, thought yeah. she'd be in with the show. She's, She's so great charming. in that film. Really, Absolutely. really great. Huh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was my, my best impression. I know, I, I realised that. I, I was startled at first, but <laughs> we got there in the end. Um, yep, yeah, okay, happy with, yeah, okay, okay, let's move on. Uh, best Supporting Actor, 
or best best white man in the supporting role mm-hmm. goes to Tom Hanks for Beautiful Down the Neighborhood. Now Helen, that is a Helen may now sigh yeah. in reverence. He's uh, so good in that film. Tony Hopkins for the two pups. I guess. Sure. Ah, <laughs> oh, Al Pacino for uh, the Irishman. Joe Pesci for the Irishman. <laughs> And I can't do Brad Pitt. <laughs> but I can't do the other three and it hadn't stopped me. Um, Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tom Hanks for Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes, Al Pacino and then Joe Pesci for The Irishman. Yeah. Who, who, who should have made it? Who, Al Pacino, it, that, I, I, I mean, it's fine, but he's playing Al Pacino a little bit in that role. I, I don't feel it was a truly great Al Pacino performance. That's not to say it's bad, but I just was a bit like, huh. He was playing Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, but he was just playing Al Pacino. He was very dialed down by Al Pacino standards for most of it. No, I, I think he's. I think he's very good. I think these are um, these are all good performances. Um, as I say, the two popes was my favourite, so he's probably the one I'd personally knock out first uh, of the competition. What kind of Catholic are you? Um, <laughs> I mean, you're not a good one. In fact, a completely lapsed one actually. Um, I I thought. Pitt was phenomenal in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I, though, think he should be up for lead actor for Ad Astra, which apparently the Academy disagrees with. Um, so I'd probably go Tom Hanks because I love him in that film. I think he's so good. But he does not seem to be a front runner. I think the front runner is probably Pitt or Pesci. Hmm. I would be happy with Pesci. Would you? I would not be offended by Pitt. I would be happy with Pesci. I thought Pesci was very, very good. Better than Al Pacino in this. If Pacino gets it, it would be... The main thing I think would annoy me is that he'd be getting it over Pesci. Hmm. It's what it is. It's what it is. (laughs) It's It's what what it is. is. It's what it is. Uh, I think Pitt will probably win that. Uh, It's tough because... He doesn't campaign, though. I don't know if that'll hurt him or not. It might even benefit him. He's Brad Pitt. I know. I I think I maybe would have thrown in um, Christopher Plummer. For Knives Out, just for the scene, you know that scene. I don't want to do a spoiler special here, but there's an there's an incredible scene that he handles brilliantly, and just for that alone, or for Chris Evans saying eat eat meat eat shit. Yeah, no, that would be fun. That would have been, that would have been and it. that would be an incredible contrast to Tom Hanks' character in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Actually, I have two percent left of my laptop battery, so uh, <laughs> actress in the leading role: Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, Scarlett Johansson for A Marriage Story, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, and Renee Selweger for Judy. This is a very, very tough one to call. Isn't a it? Really, really tough one. Now, I, I, I don't think it's going to be Cynthia Erivo just because the film, as I say, was, was not that brilliant. I don't mm. think. Um, I think uh, Charlize Theron in Bombshell equally. I don't, you know, it's a fantastic transformation, yada yada. But I don't think it's a, a film that is beloved in the same way. Um, Scarlett Johansson is fantastic in Marriage Story, but you look at this list of nominations and it has been overlooked, I think, to some extent. So it may have cooled a bit. So I do think this is probably either Zellweger or Ronan. Um, Zellweger is a previous winner, of course, which is a positive advantage sometimes at the Oscars. She does give a fantastic performance as Judy. And also that's a character and a person who many in Hollywood will care about, will care about her story very much, will care about her, her life and her performance very much. Saoirse Ronan, though, is 25 and she's on her fourth nomination. The fucking overachiever. I mean, Jesus Christ, what a woman. Um, so, <laughs> so I think it might be her year. Might have to get a Gwyneth Paltrow swear jar for you. <laughs> um, 
I also just remembered Jamie Foxx uh, for, oh, for Just Mercy. Actor, yeah, for Just, just Mercy, absolutely. Yeah. Because uh, I, I was watching an episode, a clip of him on Ellen in preparation for my interview with him, which is coming up very, very soon, folks. And uh, she literally goes, you've just been nominated for a SAG Award and you're going to win the Academy Award. And I was just like, oh, no, oh, no. he didn't even get nominated. <laughs> oh, Ellen, what are you doing? Uh, she probably says that to everyone who comes in her oh, show, probably. in fairness. Uh, okay, that's a good little lineup. And also then actor in a leading role, uh, Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory, Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Adam Driver for Marriage Story, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, and Jonathan Price, who's the best pope in The Two Popes. <laughs> <laughs> um, he is the best pope in The Two Popes. Um, that's that's true, actually. I don't think, again, I'd, I'd knock him out immediately of contention because I don't think the film is that beloved. Um, DiCaprio, I think, is fantastic in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it looks like it's easy, I think, and I don't think the Academy are going to give him credit for it. Um, I don't know. That was some of the best acting I've seen in my whole life. Okay, thanks, 12-year-old girl. <laughs> <laughs> I, again, I, like I said with Scarlett Johansson, I think Adam Driver is unbelievable in Marriage Story. I think he's so good. Um, but the film seems to have cooled. I hope he gets the recognition he has he deserves because he is such a force um, of nature and everyone who's worked with him raves about him. Um, I'm pretty sure he doesn't campaign. I think he's way too cool for it. And again, I think he probably needs to in a way that Brad Pitt maybe doesn't. Um, so my real worry is it does come down to Banderas or Joaquin Phoenix, and I would give it every day of the week and twice on Sundays to Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory um, because he is incredible in that film. But again, it's a film with subtitles in a foreign language, so will any of the voters have actually seen it? No, probably not. Um, Finally. But if he gets it, it's mainly for Puss in Boots. It's a long overdue recognition for that movie. Uh, Jimbo, any favourites here? Uh, it's Joaquin Phoenix, I would have thought. I'm not yeah. saying he's my favourite, but he's going to win. So He's got it nailed. You can really feel the acting uh, in that one. And then finally, Best Picture, nine nominees. Ford versus Ferrari, which mm-hmm. doesn't have any nominees in, say, the acting camps, which I thought was interesting. The Irishman, no De Niro in Best Actor, mm. which I think is pretty ridiculous. I, it, I, think, uh, I think maybe the CG... The aging hurt him weirdly, and yet it was nominated for best visual effects in. Mm. But that's nominated by the visual effects. What are they doing? Branch, aren't they? And they know how difficult it was. And yet they've seen the they've they've seen the finished product and they still nominated (laughs) it. Doesn't matter how difficult it is; it looks shit. Only a couple of scenes look shit. The rest of it looks pretty fucking good. Yeah, I think it looks great. Anyway. Mm. Anyway, so, <laughs> Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. I mean, <laughs> Jojo Rabbit and Ford v Ferrari feel like they should not be there. I actually really rate Ford v Ferrari. It's a really, really? yeah, it's a really old school, traditional Hollywood kind of movie. I think James Mangold is an underrated filmmaker. I'm surprised it isn't actually better represented in other categories a little bit. Um, so I don't mind it being there, or I wouldn't if there was better representation otherwise. I yeah, think. I just I feel like it's fine. <laughs> it's 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 a good film, but it's not a best picture film. I mean that feels that nuts. Same with with Jojo Rabbit. There, I mean, what will win this? I feel 1917 is going to win this. If I'm honest with you, um, I'm pulling for Parasite. I, I think I think that's a very I Outside think, chance, but you never know. You I never think know. Once upon a time in Hollywood might nick this one. 
You think? Could do. You think Irishmen is unlikely? They do love films about themselves. I don't know. It's not cinema. Mm. So <laughs> for me, for me, no. The uh, there, there are game. there are better Scorsese movies, and two of them are apparently nominated for eleven Oscars, <laughs> as we as we learned oh, earlier Jesus. on. Uh, I think there's an element of you are Martin Scorsese have some nominations. You are, and as much as I love I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's an element of you're Tarantino, you're Tarantino, and you're in a Tarantino movie, therefore have a nomination. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a it's a it's an okay lineup. I can't say I'm enthused that much about this year's Oscars. It's, yeah, it's it's really hard to get excited about it, which is why we spent half an hour talking yeah, about them. Anyway, so if you, <laughs> I really hope you enjoy Oscar chat. If you didn't, now we're going to be talking about some other stuff <laughs> as well. And the big news broke last week, just as as per tradition with the Empire Podcast, just as we had finished editing a, uh, last week's episode, and we're about to put it up. Uh, news broke that Scott Derrickson will no longer be directing Doctor Strange mm. in the Multiverse of Madness. As I have to say, I gotta blow my own trumpet in this one, as I had predicted on a on an episode just before Christmas. Oh my god. Mm. Yeah. I mean there was an awful lot of passive aggressive tweets and whatnot going out around this. Like and was it was it an Instagram or a tweet that got deleted? That slightly bizarre picture that he put it out was there? An Instagram that he was regramming someone else, which was Basically, this large, postulous, <laughs> pulsating body into which lots of tubes were connected, and it was basically just and lots of juice was being siphoned out of the body and then going into the body, and it had Mickey Mouse's head on. Yeah. So basically, he was implying heavily that Disney is not a place. It's basically it's a factory. It's a factory that churns out product. Essentially, is what he was saying. There was an awful lot of passive aggressive tweets along that way. Uh, over the last few months, lots of, you know, the, the thing you need for a good movie is a good script, and which came very, very quickly, if I'm right in thinking, just after they brought on a new writer onto Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which I have to say again, I'd had heard on the grapevine had a very good script back in the day. But now Scott Derrickson has gone, but he says that there's the terms are amicable, that he will remain as executive producer, mm-hmm. whatever that means, whatever power he has. Um, obviously lots of people are are racing and they may be right to say that perhaps what he wanted to do with that sequel was not what Marvel wanted to do with that sequel and uh, maybe things changed along the way and maybe maybe they're playing it a little bit safer post Avengers Endgame mm-hmm. now that they, they don't have the guaranteed billion dollar hits anymore well I think I mean there there were some signs way back at I think Comic Con when he was saying this is going to be a the first really scary Marvel movie and somebody went R-rated and Kevin Feige leapt in to say, no, absolutely not, definitely not R-rated. So there were there were maybe signs there that there was maybe a little bit of kind of tension in terms of how far you were going to push the scariness, how far you were going to be able to go. Um, and maybe they couldn't quite get that, you know, that level to work for both of them. Yeah. Obviously, this is all speculation. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, don't, we don't know anything. We know nothing. I was just basically going off his tweets, which just increasingly seemed to be show a, a, a sort of embattled filmmaker mm. um, maybe circling the wagons around himself so I, I, I you know I'm, I'm not Nostradamus I was just kind of looking at the tweets and going yeah I think I think there's some trouble here trouble at mill and I think he may go so I just uh, I just think that the old creative differences thing let's hear, mm. let's hear what they're saying but clearly he had started off with with a clear path for this film and uh, things have changed along the way the Disney Plus shows the yeah. involvement maybe of Scarlet Witch in that movie which you know is, going, is something going to happen 
it's it, the sad thing about all this is that it's, it feels a little bit to me like the Edgar Wright situation with Ant Man, mm. and I thought they had moved past that. I thought they'd moved to a place where they were trusting. And again, this is all speculation, but this might not be the case. But I thought they'd moved to a point where they were trusting of the directors that they hired in the first place. Mm. And the Edgar Wright thing, you know, whether it was creative differences about things that were in the movie that the Marvel wanted to be in the movie that weren't necessarily, I'm guessing, in uh, the Edgar Wright Joe Cornish script. I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't have written the scene with Falcon turning up, for example. Mm. And maybe that happened here as well. Maybe they basically went, Scarlet Witch is in your movie now, deal with it. Yeah, maybe. That's just, that's just the way it's going to work. That's that's it. So now you've got to, you, you know, your script, now you've got to you know, recalibrate your script. Can't do it. Okay, here's someone else. Mm. Yeah. And maybe that's what happened. It's tricky, isn't it? Like, he did a really good job with the last one. You, you went, as you say, you think that they, he had earned the trust like it's not he's coming into this fresh he's never made an MCU movie like he doesn't know what he's doing but it, it has taken on a life of its own now like it I don't know if I'd necessarily describe it as a factory because it sounds derogatory I'm sure Disney is a factory but the MCU is a machine like it is a beast it's a very successful unstoppable machine and it has a formula there is a secret formula to how they do these films and I understand how that is a straitjacket for if you're a creatively minded filmmaker that is a straitjacket and you have to operate within the confines of that structure or sling your hook I don't imagine working on MCU movies is necessarily the most rewarding creatively if you are that kind of filmmaker that said you know this is the second Doctor Strange film and historically, that's been where people are allowed to, yeah. you know, branch out a little bit. And I he's mean, a horror guy. He's a horror filmmaker. He has a horror background. So taking Doctor Strange in a horror direction, overtly in a mm. horror direction, makes sense to me to do that. The multiverse of madness mm. and rumors that Nightmare is the bad guy, but rumors also that Nightmare is the bad guy in WandaVision, which maybe <laughs> is why they're tying two together. But I also wonder if something happened, something changed when... Mm. Doctor Strange made such an impact in Infinity War. And so suddenly this becomes like next year. So this year, uh, you know, Black Widow and Eternals. Next year they've got Shang-Chi, which is, again, a gamble. Could be huge. Could be, you know, Black Panther huge. Yeah. But we don't know. Thor, Love and Thunder. Should be huge. See how that goes, you know. See whether but, Taika. But used. this is the thing, isn't it? This is a studio that allowed Taika Waititi to make Ragnarok, and is allowing him to make Love and Thunder. That's which, why it doesn't make sense. And to there's me. no reason to think Love and Thunder will be any less batshit than Ragnarok yeah. was. So, you know, I'm fascinated to know what the deal breaker was then, here. A second films in this in this franchise, meta franchise, have actually been quite problematic quite often. Yeah, um, they've struggled. It's normally the third one goes berserk, doesn't it? Yeah, um, I mean, with the exception of Winter Soldier, the second in, in a trilogy is, has tended to be the weak point. Mm. So uh, it may be a little bit more fraught than, than we know. And yeah, you're right. It, it's got a lot of pressure on this one to deliver. I think it's got a lot of pressure to make it. We've, we've discussed in the past him being the sort of new Tony to some degree of a new team you know, the slightly elder statesman, the slightly w older, more worldly, wiser, potentially, figure. Um, and so a lot hangs on this delivering. And it may be that just that level of um, centrality to the new Avengers or whatever means that you don't have as much freedom as you might like. I don't know. Maybe, but again, this is maybe, all speculation. All spec well, maybe one day we will know the full story. But for me, personally, I think I, I think it's sad. I really like Doctor Strange. I think I would I. like to have seen what uh, Derrickson would have done with the, uh, yeah. the character next time around. And look, it's a, it's a deal you make with the devil. You get all of the money in the world. You probably get a, you know, 
the chance to make your next small film, your next Jojo Rabbit or whatever, or your, you know, the stuff the Russo brothers are producing now on their own, you get the chance to launch that kind of thing off the back of this. But in the short term, you operate within the strictures of a Marvel movie, mm. you know? Um, so, and unless you're Taika, you got to probably talk fast <laughs> to get some of that to work. All right. So uh, speaking of big organizations and strictures and all sorts of stuff, <laughs> uh, No Time to Die, uh, the current Empire cover story, of course, is yeah. on sale right now and all good and evil news agents if you want to pick it up and you want to read my cover story about uh, the 25th Bond film, the fifth and final Daniel Craig movie. Danny Craig and he will be going out on the big screen to the strains of Billie Eilish or as someone in our horribly out of touch office said this week Billie Eilish oh dear she's really good I'm, I think this is a this is a cool choice um, calling her cool probably means I'm very uncool but there you go I think she's phenomenal um, she's hip daddy-o she is hip daddy-o she's about I think 10 um, and uh, and has achieved more than any of us will in our entire lives already. Okay. So, um, no, it's true. Uh, so, yeah, fair play to her. Um, I'm kind of excited to see I'm what she comes up, up And I think it won't be the usual big ballad. I think it'll be something, again, a bit cooler and a bit edgier, and, and that's, that's this, quite intriguing to me. Worrying. I mean, who else worrying. would it have been? Ed fucking Sheeran? This is <laughs> a much better option. This is very, very true. This is this is very very true. Um, how could it have been? I mean, we've discussed this in the podcast. Adam, Adam, who who could do a Bond theme? Uh, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know enough. I'm not hip. I'm not with it. I don't know, I don't know enough about Billie Eilish to know what sort of song is going to be. But when you say experimental, it brings back horrible memories Die of Madonna another day. and mm. Die Another Day. It's no, she's it's not the like, worst. I, 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 could, like I could have gone with hearing like Ed Sheeran. That might have been funny. Galway Bond girl. You know, oh that could God, have been. Oh God, no. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, just listen to bad guy over and over again. If you get some of that attitude yeah, yeah, yeah. into a Bond theme, I think okay, no, I'm cool. fine with it. Whatever. That was the least offensive Bond thing I think that happened this week. The other thing was, well, I say offensive. It's just tedious. It's this this whole Bond should be a woman thing discussion, which I, is never going away. No, I, I actually, I'm um, like, I, as a woman, James, uh, let me women's yes, explain let to you, you. You should take this yeah, one. Go I, for I it. I will. I don't think Bond should be a woman. There, I said it. I think Bond should be a man because Bond is a male fantasy. He is paper thin. Um, completely pointless, but uh, otherwise. But as a male fantasy, he works, okay? So he is, you know, cool and hip and all the ladies love him and he wears nice clothes and he drives fancy cars and he knows everything there is to know about everything there is to be known and uh, and he fights people and punches people and... and Jeremy gets... Clarkson. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you just described Jeremy um, Clarkson. No, sorry, I said women love him, so... Women love the Clarko. Oh, good Lord, get out, get out. <laughs> Anyway, so he, sh- he is a male fantasy and he should continue to be a male fantasy and he should continue to be male. Now, that doesn't mean he has to be a white male. Um, it doesn't mean he has to be 100% straight. I think that, the, you know, the little sort of... Blimey. There were little suggestions that Bond maybe wasn't in that last one with Javier Bardem. Pay attention, 007. I know. Um, that's fine, but I think he should be a male fantasy. So keep him male, that's cool. Let him be your fantasy. That's Let right. Bond be Bond. Let Bond be Bond and let Morbius be Morbius. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For that was one of the big trailers that dropped this week. Morbius, the living vampire, is among us. And is he? Began, <laughs> began hilariously with the title cards from the studio that brought you 
Spider-Man, Homecoming, <laughs> Spider-Man, Far From Home, and Venom. One of those things is true. <laughs> it should have read from the studio that's stu- next to the studio. That's from the studio, to the studio that was quite near the studio that brought you Spider-Man, Far From Home. No, come, come now. They were involved. Yeah, they were legally. Certain, they, were, they were on the ground. Uh, I, yeah, I... Um, <laughs> Hey, you know, I was a, I was a Jared Leto fan back when he was Jordan Catalano. Back when he was only twenty seconds from Mars. Unfortunately, mm. I haven't been a Jared Leto fan really since Uh-oh. he was Jordan Catalano. Um, I find him a little bit hard to warm to, and I'm so. But this is only a trailer, so it's hard to say how warm he will be in the film. I had heard so much about how this was a bad trailer. I saw it last night before Bad Boys for Life. And I thought it was okay. I it thought is. It's it looks fine. fine. It's just totally wildly fine. generic. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, it's, and there are just moments in it that just made me laugh out loud. Like when he's like, he's standing there and he's like, and he's like, he has things like echolocation. <laughs> and it's like, dude, you've got eyes. You can literally see the room. You only need echolocation if you're blind. Like it makes absolutely no sense where his echolocation scans out where the photocopier is in front of him <laughs> about six feet, fully lit. It's like, this is not a superpower. It's just shit. Well, though it is a superpower. It's just not very well employed in that particular moment. <laughs> Maybe he can go through walls. Maybe he but can perhaps, see it. Yeah. perhaps it He can. does seem to be able to nightcrawler at one point. So that was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Though yeah. It felt very, very close to that. X2 sequence actually because there's no sort of white corridors but but I think the thing about that it it all felt very generic and I was like it's fine whatever I don't really care but then we got to the final scene of the trailer which Chris you said wasn't in the one that you saw in the cinema correct he's in the one on the internet where we see Michael Keaton's Vulture standing at the back of a van and doing some weird Sylvester Stallone impression to the point where he's almost unintelligible. And I had to play this back about four times to so realize what he was saying. Stallone impression. <laughs> yeah. And joke. And I just, I don't know, it, it, so it offended he me. He says, uh, is Michael Morbius got tired of the whole good guy thing then? Ah. Something along those lines. But it's just like, and he's wearing some kind of doctor's coat, so presumably out of prison or whatever. But I know that this takes place not in the MCU, but in a kind of like a Venn diagram crossover universe thing. So there is overlap here for legal reasons. But part of me just bristles at the thought that the shitness that is the Venomverse is polluting <laughs> the glorious crystal waters of the MCU. And it just, it, no, it's just... It, you it's saw like the a, poster as well. Yeah, the, the poster, which Murderer. I might add, the poster is the artwork for the PS4 game of Spider-Man, uh, which is bizarre, which had like villain written under it. So obviously it's a reference to the end of, of Spider-Man Far From Home. This is graffiti within the trailer. Yeah, Spider-Man. graffiti on the poster. Murderer. And yeah. murderer, that was it, yeah. It's, yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, it's wall art, it's not a poster, it's... it's it's, it's. I mean, it's literally like, the poster like for the PS4 game. <laughs> yeah, I know it is, but it's not. It's not a poster in the in the film. It's sure, it's what I'm trying um, to establish. But it. Uh, I don't know. It bothered me. It bothered me that this takes place in that same universe, and perhaps I'm just being a little bit precious. But get your hands off him. Literally kind of that. Yeah. Literally that. Uh, I don't know. I, I think the inclusion of uh, Adrian Toomes is going to be interesting. Hmm. See where this goes. Does this mean they're still trying to get the Sinister Six to happen? Yeah. Oh. Of course. Absolutely. Venom. I am a loser too, Eddie. Venom, Fulcher, Morbius. Yeah. Who knows what else? Okay. Yeah. Sure. It's not the traditional Sinister Six, but you know. You know, you know. It's a, and it's I, not six, but just, you know. Look, do. it's a trailer. We can't really read too much into it because it is just a trailer. And, you know, I appreciate I maybe come across as slightly negative, but I feel like. Really? MC, I you? Mean, me? Never. But I feel like M, the MCU have done this now many times and shown how it should be done. And it feels like Sony are not learning. Uh, it feels like they are they 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 play in this particularly generic 
pool they would for point these films. towards Venom's box office and say, we don't need to learn. And, <gasps> and fact, that is depressingly that, true. Wasn't it rumoured that that was part of the problem whenever they wanted to uh, break away from Marvel and uh, not Marvel Studios and not not complete the uh, the Spider-Man trilogy was that they had looked at how well Venom had done and gone, well, actually, we've learned all we need to learn from these guys. Clearly, we know what we're doing. Clearly, Venom is every bit as good as and maybe they do. Spider-Man. And maybe they, you know, and maybe listen, this will be enormous. Listen, I'm. I don't know. And get eleven Oscar thing. nominations. Venom next has year. a massive, like like Joker. Venom has a massive inbuilt mm. audience. Mm. Um, I'm not sure Morbius does. <laughs> no, this is this is Poundland Spider-Man villain, isn't he? Really? I mean, he's in the comics. He's fought Blade a lot, and if this was their backdoor way of introducing Blade, I'd be up for it. But of course, it's a different studio yeah. technically, so that seems. But they Unlikely. have said that Tom Holland will be crossing. Them. But he's always had a foot, as it were, in and both people camps. People will be coming in, and whereas you uh, know, Mahershala Ali's Blade does not, for example. So I don't yeah. think that's likely. We shall see. We shall see. Interesting. But listen, uh, every day is Christmas Eve at Empire, and uh, we we hope that Morbius is looking good. And every day is really Christmas Eve at Empire because Guns Akimbo looks like the best film ever made. It looks really fun. <laughs> this is the new um, Daniel Radcliffe film where um, in a world where there's a popular series of online uh, YouTube films, I guess, of people having to kill each other in real life, he's a total loser who wakes up one day with people having broken into his house the night before and has guns bolted to his hands. He has gun hands. He's yes. Edward Gun Hands. He is. And he's told to go kill this person, and if he doesn't kill her, he'll be killed. And if he leaves town, she's he'll like be killed. She's like the best player of the game. And she's like and, the best player yeah. of the game. And he's like, shall we team up? And she's like, no, I think I'll kill you. But I'm assuming but clearly they, they, team up. they totally yeah. team up. And uh, it just looks like an absolute blast. And she's played by Samara Weaving. Samara Weaving of Ready or Not, which mm, yep. was fantastic last year. And overlooked at the Oscars, I have to say. Um, but yeah, I think this looks real, really fun. And yeah. I don't think anyone knew what it was. What's this Guns Akimbo trailer list appeared on the internet today? And Absolutely. Because the it, synopsis just reads like dog shit. And yes. yet... It's super fun looking. It looks super fun. I In mean, fairness, the synopsis of most films read like dog shit. <laughs> yeah. No, but Guns Akimbo and Knives Out, I feel like we're getting a kind yeah. of heavily armoured vibe. Hammers Up recently. coming out next year. Seriously, mm-hmm. like, let's, let's have more of this ridiculous naming yeah. thing. Next up, Paltrow will be out there with oh, her candles. No, stop it with the candles. Can't stop with the candles. Please stop. She started it. Like a candle in the wind. Boy, boy. Unreliable. Anyway. I think that's it. Uh, Is that it? There was a quick Black Widow trailer where you got a little bit more of the Taskmaster. That's worth having yeah. a look at. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, we've talked about Black Widow and... Yeah. I feel like we yeah. probably feel the same way about it as we did before. I think we do. All right. Skywalker has passed a billion dollars. Hey, well Hooray. done. That. Well done. Well done for big corporation. And <laughs> in good news for the Golden Globes, uh, next year will be hosted by Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, so might actually be funny. Oh. That's right. I said it. Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> uh, right. That is it for the news section and hey that is also it for the bit where you get in touch with us and if you do want to get in touch with us <laughs> Uh, we're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can Facebook us as Empire Magazine and you can email us also podcast at empireonline.com. And I should also mention, because there's only a few weeks to go, three weeks to go, in <laughs> fact, I believe, until our 400th episode. Do not be alarmed by last week's episode being labeled 397. That was a mislabel. This is episode 397, so there are two more regular episodes to go, and then we're going to be live once again at King's Place, episode 400. It's going to be amazing. Uh, uh, hopefully got some really good guests, 
coming for that one. It's going to be a landmark episode. And tickets for that are on sale right now at kingsplace.co.uk. Go and search for the Empire Podcast, episode 400. Do come along. We would love to see, well, 400 of you would be nice. That'd be awesome. That'd be lovely. And each bring a cake. Poetical. Lovely, wouldn't it? Really, really nice. And if they all brought cake. Well, no. We can bring the cake as long as they bring the candles. (laughs) <laughs> no, no. I think you know what I'm saying, listeners. Yep. Just don't stand downwind of the candle. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> four hundred of them. Christ. Don't also, even. that'll be the uh, podcast before the Oscars, so you may get to see Helen do a little rant about Joker oh, live on stage. God. Oh, you think of me, Evan? Um, that's the multi-Oscar-winning uh, Joker, as it's going to be in a couple uh. weeks' time. So anyway, tickets are on sale right now on Kingspace.co.uk, and we can't wait to see you guys there. Okay, time now for this week's guest. Ooh. This is a big one. Uh, for it is Jamie Foxx, the Oscar-winning star of Ray, the non-Oscar-winning star of Collateral, Miami Vice, Dreamgirls, Django Unchained, Baby Driver. Very exciting. And of course, who can forget, Horrible Bosses and Horrible Bosses too. <laughs> uh, and this week, he uh, is excellent in Just Mercy, as a Walter McMillan, who is sentenced on death row in Alabama for a crime, it's, this is a historical fact, no spoilers here, for a crime he did not commit. Uh, it is an incredible performance that was somehow overlooked by the Academy. I guess it's his fault that he wasn't in The Irishman. But anyway, he came in this week uh, to talk about the movie, which opens on Friday, and I sat down with him just a few hours ago, in fact, for a good old natter about a great many things. A lot of fun, this one. Do enjoy. Jamie Foxx. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the star of Just Mercy, Mr. Jamie Foxx. How are you, sir? Man, I am fantastic in the house like gravity. <laughs> so just always here, no matter what I'm happens? in the house like furniture, <laughs> down like gravity. <laughs> <laughs> that is a new one. I haven't heard that before. You know what I mean? I'm going to be using that. In the house <laughs> like furniture, down. How do you deal with jet lag? You okay? You know what? It, it's interesting because I stay up late in LA. So I stay up to like, you're in British time anyway. Four, yeah. I'm all. It's like it's like my jet lag. I don't know. I know, I know I'm. I'm probably gonna hit a wall here in the next few hours, but I'm good now. But not in the next fifteen minutes, right? No, but no, we are I'm raring to go. <laughs> buddy. Uh, this is a fantastic film. And, Man, thank you so much. Uh, it's a film that, uh, as I was watching it, I, I experienced the whole gamut of emotions. I right. was indignant. Right. I was angry. Yeah. I imagine you must have felt the same, only more so, obviously, re- maybe reading the script or first hearing about this through Michael. You know, what's interesting is that this is so commonplace uh, when you are living, it's interesting, living while black, there are certain things that you just go through. Uh, this is more extreme. Uh, the character that I play, Walter McMillan, who mm. was wrongly accused of a crime, they said he killed someone in a city they'd never been in and a person that he never met. And, he, yeah. and he's put on death row in America without a trial. And what's interesting about it is, is that how simple it was, how commonplace it was, how no one even blinked an eye. You think about the people that actually did it. Yeah. From the sheriff to the prosecutor to everybody involved, actually knowing that this man is innocent. Yeah. What type of people are those? How sinister is that? How can you sleep at night? It's a simple, you know. And I, it's interesting. When you say sleep at night, is an interesting thing. I was in South Africa shooting a movie. This kid, you know, South African kid, black kid, says, 
Mr. Fox, what does it take to rule the world? And he asked it to everybody in the production as we were shooting the movie. And we were all power, money, da 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 da. And he says, the ability to kill women and children and go to sleep. And I wow. said, wow. And so when you just said that, yeah, they sleep. Slept. Well, and not they only sleep that, like babies. And not only that, yeah. after this happened, and the, the rest of the story is that uh, a, a young man by the name of Brian Stevens, who's played eloquently by Michael B. Jordan, is an intern lawyer. They give this man an intern lawyer. He takes the case, and they do the impossible. They actually get the case overturned in Alabama, which is the first time that has ever happened. But what's interesting about the movie is the information that you have at the end, that you find out that the people that actually did these atrocities to this man are still in power. Yeah. And they were in power for the next 30 years. It was like, eh, whatever. Yeah. We'll move on to the next situation. So there was a lot to unpack. It's a lot. It was a lot to unpack, but I think it was so necessary because, you know, we have the highest rate of incarceration in America, uh, mostly African-American. And people like Brian Stevenson are, are important because my father went to jail for $25 worth of illegal substance. They put him in jail for seven years. Yeah. yeah. Here's a man who educated the kids in the hood, educated the kids in the inner city. He was a teacher. For 25 years, he did that. Now, he had the judge. the ju He would bring the judge to the school to talk to the kids. You know, stay away from this, you know, stay away from that. And the next thing you know, that judge actually presided over his case and put him in that jail cell with some of the kids that he actually taught. But he didn't know that that father taught me how to throw a football, taught me yeah, how yeah. to play basketball, taught me how to play tennis, which I thought, I was like, man, daddy, what are we trying to learn? What are we trying to learn? What the, what are we trying to learn? He said, because I didn't want you to be limited to anything. So here's this young black kid, myself. Uh, some of my childhood heroes were Vetus Garolitis, Elena Stasi, Yannick Noah, uh, Yvonne Lindell, Bjorn Borg. Uh, and he gave me that. But now... Mm -hmm. He sits in a jail cell. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing about me. I don't like jail. Even when we were shooting the scenes uh, in the jail cells, I didn't, I didn't like it. And so when he went to jail, I said, I can't come see you like that because I see you as a king. I don't ever want to get used to that. So I wrote him one letter. I said, listen, things are going good for me. When you get out, I'll save your life. He now lives with me. We've li He's lived with me now for 20 years. Uh, and since he loved tennis, here's a beautiful part of the story. Uh -huh. I got a chance to take him to the U.S. Open. And we got a chance to watch Venus and Serena play. Wow. And so in my situation, the stars lined up and we were able to have a, a good outcome of a yeah. terrible situation. Yeah. But most of the time, man, it's just... There are thousands. Yeah, it's, it's messed up. That that story about the tennis is is, is right, amazing. Do you, do you play tennis? You, yeah, you, I play tennis. Still? I, play, I, I still play tennis. Uh, and table tennis, pops, pops. No, me and pops play table tennis now. You know, we play uh, play ping pong now. Uh, and you know, and that's that's an interesting thing because that's a bonding thing. You know yeah. what I mean? So, so we still do it. Do you, do you have a favorite shot, by the way? Forehand, backhand. What, what's your what's your my my, my, fa my favorite was the was the backhand in and out. My, I mean, it was the forehand in and out. So I would run. I would run to my backhand side to hit the forehand. Okay. You know, my 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 backhand was only a slice. <laughs> Could be a powerful weapon though, Jamie. Be a, you know a powerful weapon indeed. But uh, but you you said there that you know the jail is is a, is a difficult thing for you to come to terms with, and 
in a weird way, your career isn't bookended necessarily, but you played Tookie Williams, and yeah. uh, there's a he's yeah. a man who was executed on death yeah, row. Exactly. Uh, and I know you went to visit him. I went to check. I got that was the thing about doing this movie about death row. The one thing that I took with me on doing Just Mercy was the fact that uh, death row is a different place. It's it's different. It's cold. It's different. The way the uh, the inmates are are uh, treated, and it's it's not. It's another thing where everyone in or on death row is innocent. Some of these guys have done um, heinous crimes, but you you don't know what their mental state. I mean, there's a lot of variables. But the one thing I would say is that the worst thing you can give a inmate on death row is hope. Mm. Because they don't want to think, you know, maybe this might get overturned. They just want to, they almost want to have, some of them wanted to have, just let it happen. So doing Tookie Williams' story, you know, that was a tough, that was tough meeting someone, you know, who was going through that knowing that he was going to be executed, but also was almost given the Nobel Peace Prize and the fact of what he'd done while he was in jail, writing, um, you know, children's books on toilet paper while he was in solitary confinement for six years. So it's it's a mind-bending, back-breaking uh, situations. But having that knowledge... Uh, I think it sort of helped me understand what uh, Walter McMillan was going through. Yeah. And obviously, uh, Walter sadly passed away in real life yeah. before, you know, before mm-hmm. you got a chance to play him. But did you talk to his his family about how he was on death row? How, was, he, was he stoic? Did, would, yeah. did he, was he accepting of his fate before yeah. Brian turned up? I actually, I actually got a chance to just talk to Brian. You know, I said, what was Walter about, man? And he said, to be honest with you, Walter was a very gregarious person. He was hopeful, which was rare. Even though, you know, he's in this in this horrible situation, but you can see it in the film, you know, he had a certain connection with the with the inmates, you know. He wasn't super jovial, but he was able to talk to some of those guys and sort of use that southern charm and and uh you know, he gave a certain human side to these guys. And so taking that and then the fact that me and Walter actually sort of look alike. You know, we had yeah. aesthetically the same cheekbones, the diamond-shaped head. I had that same haircut in the 80s. <laughs> and so... Uh, and you, you rock it in this yeah, movie. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Good. I'm rocking that, that wig. And then, you know, finally that, that, that classic haircut that he had that, you know. So um, that helped a lot when it came to, you know, bringing uh, his TV life. I mean, his movie life, bringing that to life, the movie version of Walter. Mm. So um, Michael B. Jordan uh, brought you onto this project. He was the one who first approached Mm -hmm. you with it. And Mm -hmm. uh, obviously it's directed by Destin Daniel Cretton. And is that that an unusual way into a project for you through the producer and then you meet the director after that? And I've known Michael for years. I've known Michael when he was just a little kid with a a wife beater on and a little twisty hair, you know, a little fresh-faced kid. (laughs) But I've always known that he had this thing. I said, that kid's going to do something. You know, and then when you look at his work in Fruitville Station, uh, he, he touched our hearts in that. And then when you see what he did in, uh, uh, I almost call it Killmonger because he actually stole that. <laughs> he stole that movie. Uh, but when you look at what he did in that, and and when you see the journey that he's on artistically, where he's although he's doing these big films, he still has a narrative for our culture. Yeah. Uh, that 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 uh, that bleeds through. And so when he called, I was like, "Yo, man, I'm down. I, I'm I'm happy that you called. I couldn't." I jumped at that chance because I knew it was going to be something great. 
Yeah. You know, and for him to be that young and have that type of insight, you want to be a part of that, you know? Mm. You're absolutely right. It's, it's it's fascinating. I listened to an interview you guys did with Elvis Mitchell. And he Elvis talks, Mitchell. Um, yeah, it's yeah, a great, yeah, great interview. Yeah. And he talks about wanting to say something with his movies. And yeah. I keep thinking back to that last line he has in Black Panther where he talks about burying me at sea exactly. like my ancestors who would prefer you know, prefer bondage, yeah. prefer death to bondage. Yes. Yes, I yes. keep thinking that's an extraordinary line to get into what is, to all intents and purposes, a big blockbuster. Man, you know what? And I think that's why it worked. I think had I think if Black Panther didn't have that narrative, I don't think it would would have worked as well. You know, the fact that it was like really speaking to us unapologetically about as black people, you know, we could do this, we could do that, we could do this on the positive end, and that went around the world, man. And then you look at even movies like The Joker, which is you know different film, but it was just steeped in something more real. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, when they pulled that off in Black Panther, that changes the it changes the direction and it makes the satellite of, of Hollywood move differently. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It makes yeah. it like, Oh, you know, are we doing too much fluff? You know, which yeah. the, I love the fluff too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, uh, but, but I think Michael was able, that will forever sustain him in his career because when you can do something that has weight to it yeah. and you still eat your popcorn and be entertained, that's, that's an, I don't think that there's a movie like that. I don't think there's a movie quite like black Panther where, you know, you really get to step out on who you are, uh, and 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 make it and make it success. Billion dollars strong. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's yeah. shifted the paradigm mm-hmm. in, in many ways. But mm-hmm. you know, over over the course of your career, though, you know, there's you haven't really done the fluff, Jamie. I mean, you've, yeah. you've there's there's you know you've you've, you've worked with the likes of Michael Mann, yeah. You know, Collateral, Miami mm-hmm. Vice. Those those movies aren't fluff. Well, I put it to you this way: I'm happy. Yeah, look, you you always look look with your agents and everything. Like, man, we need to get you know we need to get that popcorn money, baby. <laughs> need that Will Smith. We need to pay for the tennis courts. You know what I'm saying? So Got to play with your dad. All, just a lot of stuff. But Ellen Barkin, yeah, 2005, during the run of the Oscars, sees me at a party, whispers in my ear, and I'm paraphrasing. If you chase the money, I'll fuck you up. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? She says, don't chase the money. Yeah. Remain close to your art. And I was like, wow. And she's right. And the fact that I have done things in my career that are monetarily satisfying but to be able to come back to things like Just Mercy mm. with Michael B. Jordan it gives me it gives me an opportunity to have my artistic integrity intact and that goes a long way because let's talk about agents I got a good agent <laughs> Steve Smook it's crazy <laughs> but he says Fox-O-Matic goes to Fox-O-Matic Fox-O-Matic world's going to change in the next 20 years and this is about 20 years ago he says there's going to be reality TV there's going to be a lot of fluff out there he said but the people that can act will continuously work in this business and it's been true and has that been sort of the pattern for you establishing right from the off that you're a character actor you're a leading man but you're also a character actor you know what it is it it happened by by bad just bad luck I I would do a movie and somebody said man that sounds like Eddie Murphy (laughs) 
Because <laughs> I was trying to, you know, everybody wanted to do the Eddie Murphy big, and then Chris Tucker came along. I was like, fuck. So then everything was sort of being compared in the comedy space because that's where I came from. Yeah, yeah. And then along came uh, Any Given Sunday, which allowed me to be in a movie. And Oliver Stone wasn't really familiar with my comedy. I just went in and read. So he was like, you know, I don't think you're a good actor at all, but there's something there. And so <laughs> once, yo, oh, you said you're, you're just horrible. You just stink. That's the Oliver Stone experience. Yeah, but I mean, but he was honest, and 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 at that time, and I don't know how that works in today's world. Yeah. But at that time, that was needed. He says, "Listen, you're a TV actor. You're so loud." Because I read all my lines loud because right. I'm from TV. All right, man. Then let's do it then. <laughs> Willie Beeman. <laughs> he's like, what's going on with this dude? But he, he thought that I had something. And so he taught me how to make it quieter and make it real. And then to go on from that to Michael Mann, the school of Michael Mann, who would have you do 60 takes to get the you out of you. Meaning like, mm. I want to get the Jamie Foxx out of you and get the character. To go on to Taylor Hackford, who would say, hey, listen. And Ray Charles is this. You, Ray Charles, he's, Ray, Taylor was, you know, because <laughs> I was trying to get funny. And wasn't, he said, hey, he put his hands on my shoulder when I said, hey, you fuck this up, I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> he said, I've been trying to get this done for 23 years. And so you, I, I appreciated that the principal's office feeling of going to the set yeah. and that I'm on my way to the principal's office, I better do good. And so therefore, the way I look at projects now, I'm not afraid. There is nothing that I'm artistically afraid of. And that's all because of the experiences that I've had. So it seems to me there's a thread running through your career of people <laughs> going up to you and going, don't fuck this up or I'll oh, fuck you up. Definitely, <laughs> most <laughs> definitely don't fuck this up. Have you said that to yourself? Is that, is that a mantra? You know what? I, I think that it's something that I stay conscious of because I really like the position that I'm in. And what I mean is when I can walk into a room and there's Todd Phillips and there's Joaquin Phoenix, there's a respect level but between all of us. Leonardo, you know, these are... You know, uh, uh, Antoine Fuqua. Mm. Uh, I, I like being able to walk in that room and and have conversations with people that I've admired or, or seen their work. And, and so I, I, I think, harking back to Ellen Barkin, by not chasing it and then chasing the perfection of whatever character that I play. Mm. If it's uh, uh, Ali, Muhammad Ali is a prophet. If it's Bundini, Muhammad Ali is a prophet. How are you going to be God's son? As soon as you come out the garage, you be number two. If it's Willie Beeman, if it's uh, Rachel, uh, you know what? I'm going to make you do what it do, baby, you know? <laughs> and if, 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 if I'm looking at my life like if I could hang all of these characters up, you know, and look at them, in the span, I, that's what I want to have as the legacy, to be able to see all of the funny from Wanda to to, to Willie Beeman, to Ray, to Bundini, to Walter, to to all of these characters hanging up. Um, Django, I think that's what will be um, satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. Bats, 
<laughs> uh, Jamie Fox, long may you continue not fucking it up. <laughs> I ain't gonna fuck it up, baby. Cheers, man. Right, Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, so that was Jamie Foxx, and I think it is only right that we start with Jamie Foxx's movie, Just Mercy. Yeah, so this is a kind of, I guess, quite traditional legal drama slash biopic. Um, our focus is not just um, Jamie Foxx's character, um, who's known as Johnny D, isn't it? Even mm-hmm. though it's not his, his um, legal name. It's actually Michael B. Jordan's character, Brian Stevenson, who is a young, idealistic, uh, Harvard-educated lawyer who comes down to set up uh, a legal firm for people who need it, and particularly people on death row whose convictions are, let's face it, shaky as fuck. And if you've read anything about Again, death row... mouth. I'm sorry. Um, if you've read anything... I mean, I actually interned with some death row yes. lawyers once, uh, went back when I was a lawyer, down in Texas. This is not Texas, but it's a very similar situation. This is... You basically don't get the death penalty if you have a really competent lawyer and or are rich and and you are very less likely to get it if you're white than if you're black. So basically, they're working for equal access to justice for people who have been horrifically treated by the system. And um, Jamie Foxx's character, Walter McMillan, Johnny D, is a perfect example of that. There is no hard evidence that he committed the crime. Um, There are compelling witness statements from a bunch of people saying he wasn't there at the time, he couldn't have done this, we were all having a cookout that day. Um, and yet he's convicted on the tale of basically a jailhouse stitch who's played by Tim Blake Nelson, who plays Ralph Myers, um, who it turns out may have had reason to lie. But throughout this entire process, um, Michael B. Jordan's uh, Stevenson is just trying to find his feet in this new environment to set up his, his, you know, his advocacy group. Um, and he's facing basically unrelenting hostility from the local people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, he has Brie Larson's uh, characters as sort of his kind of office manager and kind of partner. And she's, uh, you know, literally they can't hire an office once the people find out what they want it for. Um, and literally they're just lawyers. They're not going to have, you know, criminals there in the office, you know, shooting up the place. They're just going to be doing paperwork. Yep. But but that's enough. They're challenging the system. They're challenging the status quo, and that is enough to get them blackballed by everyone around them. So this comes from Destin Daniel Cretton, who's the guy who made um, Short Term 12, which, of course, launched the career of Brie Larson mm-hmm. um, and many others. Um, but it feels it does feel quite conventional as a film goes. It feels like it hits all those kind of legal drama heights um, and lows that you that you kind of expect. But there are some... I mean, pretty horrific twists and turns to the case along the way. There's, you know, the moment where you think, okay, now I know where this is going and everything's going to be fine, and that's not the case. So it it does have some kind of stings in the tail, if you will. But yeah, superb performances from Jordan and Fox in particular, um, and some real weight to it, I think, as a film. Yeah, it's it's kind of um, horrifying in many, many ways. Oh, yeah, I mean, sure. it's 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 uh, a, a film that. Uh, left me indignant and angry as mm-hmm. I said to Jamie Foxx in equal measure mm-hmm. uh, because of just the blatant the corruption r- corruption yeah. and racism yeah. of the system down there and there's a there's a thread that runs kind of not all the way through the movie they kind of they, they do drop it after a little while but uh, they're very very proud of the fact that where they are in Alabama mm-hmm. that local town the local community is to kill a mockingbird country yes and they keep going ah oh, have you been to the mockingbird museum yeah, it's so great museum. it's a civil rights yeah. museum and meanwhile what they're involved in yep. what they're engaged in is far far removed from Atticus Finch and 
and uh, and and what To Kill a Mockingbird stands for. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I I thought that stuff was 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 very very powerful and eye opening and jaw dropping and gobsmacking. And there are, there are a couple of moments, you know, very early on uh, when Jamie Foxx's character is pulled over by the sheriff, and yes. later on. Uh, when they're trying to intimidate Brian Stevenson, when he's pulled over by by cops as well, and it's it's uh, that terrifying experience as an African American man when you're pulled over by racist cops and the, a wrong word, a wrong move can get you killed. Yeah, um, I thought those sequ- those moments were very very powerful indeed, uh, and the performances across the board are, are very very good. Uh, it's 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 a strange one. It, it seemed to fall through the cracks a little bit in the Oscar race, in the Oscar con- conversation. Um, and I can see it, maybe it's a little conventional, a little bit straight down the middle. But yeah, yeah I think the performances are good enough. I, th- I think that's it. I think it's it's dealing with a really important issue and an important, just a horrific situation. But it's one that I think people are maybe not sh- as shocked as they should be. Maybe they yeah. they feel like they've seen it before. Um, and so yeah, maybe didn't get the attention it deserves. But it's it's really really well done. So. Yeah, we gave it three stars, which three stars. is a recommendation. Is a recommendation, and uh, Jimmy Fox is great in it. And uh, let's move on now to Bombshell. Yeah, genuinely forgot what we were talking about there. Bombshell, uh, and this is again, this is multi-Oscar nominated, mainly in the acting categories. Mm. And uh, Jimbo, what's this one about? Uh, so this is Jay Roche's new film, and it charts the fall of the late. News titan Roger Ailes uh, from Fox News. What ails him? Well, death at this case. But uh, <laughs> um, so, so this this kind of takes place around 2016 in the run up to the presidential election, and it charts the period leading up to his firing for sexual harassment uh, offences, and it focuses on three characters: two real, one. Fictionalized. You've got uh, Gretchen Carlson played by Nicole Kidman. You have got uh, Charlize Theron playing Megan Kelly. Terrifyingly accurate mm-hmm. portrayal of Megan Kelly. Like she nails her very distinctive voice. Mm-hmm. She has facial prosthetics. She looks just like her. Like it's a proper double take. Freaks you out. And when she first walks on and then breaks the fourth wall and talks to camera, it's really disconcerting. And it for it's it it's discombobulating actually when you when you get into that film it takes a while to get past it it's an incredibly incredibly accurate performance um and then you've got uh, last but not least you've got Margot Robbie as uh, Kayla Pops Pop Popisil Popisil um, who's, who's made a, up who's yeah. a made up character so it doesn't really matter <laughs> all but she's supposed are made to be, up <laughs> indeed but she's supposed to be an amalgamation of a number of women who also came forward in this because obviously these these two women Gretchen Carlson and Megan Kelly were the two headliners in this case because they were the most uh, publicly recognisable figures Gretchen Carlson being obviously one of Fox News' biggest anchors uh, sorry uh, Megan Kelly being one of their biggest anchors and Gretchen Carlson uh, formerly on Fox and Friends and essentially this was stories came out it snowballed people came out in his defence people came out against him it got bigger and bigger and bigger and it unravels exactly the extent of not just his harassment but I would say the endemic culture of harassment that existed at Fox News um, Margot Robbie's character gets a job on the Bill Riley, uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly show and you can <laughs> imagine how well that goes Um and it's essentially how those people came down, how those those almost invincible, untouchable harassers were brought low. But it took very high-profile women with incredible amounts of 
irrefutable evidence to bring him down. And there are examples in this of people who tried and failed, people who were harassed but didn't have the profile and didn't have the clout to actually push it through. Like the the amount of bullying, the fact that he has private investigators on you know on the payroll to discredit women who came out. And there's some really upsetting scenes in this when uh, there's a a sort of a shall we say a closed door casting session, which is seedy and horrific and offensive. Um, and it, it really kind of shows the extent of the power disparity between Ailes and between these women who wanted to just get ahead in this industry and how he imposed these rules about, you know, uh, women wearing skirts of a certain length, uh, transparent desks so the legs were always visible, wide shots for the same reason. And I think Robbie Robbie's really good in this, particularly for one scene which happens outside a restaurant, which is kind of takes place after her uh, encounter with Roger. Uh, and it's a really powerful, it's a conversation with Kate McKinnon on the phone. And that's that's an incredible piece of acting on her part. And I think that, I would say, more than anything else, and this is why she's received such a claim for her, mm. for her performance. I think, weirdly, Nicole Kidman, who's an extraordinary actor, is rather overshadowed in this by the other two. She's not given anything to do. She's not given anything to do. No. Uh, she, Even though she's the instigator of, I think, the plot, she drives the plot in many ways. She's not... Uh, she doesn't have the screen time. She doesn't have the presence. She doesn't get get enough to sort of sink her teeth into. I think Theron really gets the bulk of that, and it is an incredible performance. It's probably worth mentioning John Lithgow as well, who plays Ailes mm. in a lot of prosthetics. He's really, really good as well. Yeah, and like even tiny, tiny parts are filled by really, really big people. Mm. You know, um, Alison Janney is a lawyer. Great yeah, performance there. Richard Kind turns up yep. as uh, Giuliani, doesn't he? Um, it. My my big issue with this is, um, I think it's. It's a little uneven for me, this one. Um, it, it tries not to reckon with the fact that Megyn Kelly is also <laughs> a really objectionable person. Yeah. Um, it, it mentions one of the minor racist things she's said. The says, Santa Claus the thing Santa Claus that she famously... Thing, mm. um, which is about the least of it, really. <laughs> um, and, and doesn't in any way reckon, really, with Fox News as an entity and what it's done as an entity in the culture. Uh, like it's, it's, it's abstractly referred to, like there's a woman comes yeah. up to Gretchen in a, in a, like a supermarket, but that's basically But that's it. basically it. It's, yeah. it's, it very much sidesteps the, the level of complicity and stuff involved, I think. And, and that was kind of troubling for me. And it felt like kind of whitewashing it. It's a very white film, obviously, also. Um, but also, I just think it's, it's trying to have its cake and eat it with that. And then it, similarly in the... In the the way it's made, you know, Jay Roach starts off with Megyn Kelly basically talking to camera. It's very the big short E. Mm. Um, and then it kind of drops that and never really, it isn't consistent in the way that it approaches its characters. Yeah, it uses a lot of real footage in there as well. that They cut yeah, her into actual yeah. Trump footage because having someone play Trump, I think at this point, would just be weird. Yeah. Um, so and, and that that didn't offend me quite as much, but I don't know. It just felt uneven to me, and and a little bit like it was pulling some of its punches. I think mm. um, uh, that it could have done more. But yeah, the performances are are fantastic. I know, I know what you mean. I think uh, I, I bumped on that initially because I'm like, well, Megyn Kelly is problematic but I guess the broader point I guess it was making is that you know no one deserves this and it almost no. isn't about heroes and villains it's about right and wrong and no but it is it is about they are propping up a culture of toxic masculinity mm. they're propping up the patriarchy quite literally <laughs> um, and, and therefore there is a conversation to be had there and also it's more interesting if you make them more villainous it is more interesting because they are still victims of this man mm. if they are also themselves 
obnoxious, terrible people. The fact that we don't get lots of that actually makes them less interesting and makes this a less powerful piece than it should be. Um, so I that that's my issue with it. I think they it also should. it's not. But then you could also you can't even make the argument that well maybe they're saying that you know just because Fox News is conservative doesn't necessarily make them bad people, but that they do tip their hat to it. Like Kate McKinnon's character in particular, mm-hmm. there's a particular line where they they make a point of outlining that Fox is problematic. So they're trying to have their cake and eat it. Yeah, I think, very much bit. so. Yeah. But anyway, we gave anyway. it four stars. Our old Terry, our Terry White reviewed that one, liked mm-hmm. it very much. Uh, four of our very best stars. Four stars then for Bombshell. What a bombshell. Indeed. <laughs> Sounds good. Next up, we have the return of Martin Lawrence and Will Smith in Bad Boys for Life, which is, of course, the sequel to Bad Boys 2, some 17 years after that movie. I mean, Jesus Christ. Talk about running out of ideas. <laughs> Nobody is looking forward to this movie. It's going to be a shit show of epic proportions. Am I right? No, I am wrong. What the <laughs> fuck is going on, Swear Jar? It was fun. What's happened? It's really fun. I, I really liked it. I don't understand. Okay, so you two are going to have to explain this to me because I was unable... You two, Bono and the Edge. Yes, and Adam you Clayton two. Larry I want them to Jr. come in here right now and explain to me this film. No, I was unable to go with you to the screening. 17 years after the first one. <laughs> I wasn't able to go because I was also watching something that had been away for 17 years because it was the same night as the Star Trek Picard screening, ah, you had a, uh, which was amazing. But I'm embargoed, so I can't tell you that. You had but, a massive Picard on. But, but So I was unable to see this, but there is not a world in which this film isn't dreadful. So what and happened? Yes. And yet we're living in it. Because Bad Boys 2 is objectively shit. So, is this, <laughs> so we're saying this is the best Bad Boys? Is this... I mean, it's, it's a low bar, but <laughs> yes, this is the best Bad Boys film. The best yeah. boys for life. Wow. It's, yeah. it's weird because Bad Boys was like the proto Fast and Furious. It was a bit, wasn't back, it? Right? It was a bit. Um, and its absence for the, from the culture has allowed Fast and Furious to grow and flourish and become <laughs> the beautiful rosebush that, that it has become. And, and yet now it's back and, and we have double the wealth of ridiculous, preposterous explosioniness. Um, so yeah. what's good about it? Why is it good? So is it is it the chemistry between Lawrence and Smith? Because that sure. was my I really like Bad Boys One, and it's them riffing off each other that yeah, I really right. enjoy. There's yeah. a lot of that. Mm. There is a lot of that. Um, I, I think uh, so. This is uh, new directors taking over from Michael Bay. Um, so he is now he's I expected his production company for some reason to still be involved, but I didn't see it. Um, but this is basically Adil and Bilal. They're known as professionally as Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah. Mm-hmm. Who are, who are directing it, um, and they do a really credible Michael Bay impression. So all of the ridiculous over-the-topness that you want to see is there. A lot of 360s, low angles. Yeah, a lot of low angles. And <laughs> there's, that, that, there's one there was very maybe, funny joke There's uh, maybe one too many. That. Oh, that's true. But there's is maybe it? one too many of those, but the, it is very well done on occasion. Um, but the, you can also follow the action. They can also tell a story with the action, which I think is impressive and not something we can take for granted after seeing Six Underground. It's so weird. Someone, someone, uh, when I tweeted initially last night going, guys, I don't know what's happening here, but I really <laughs> like Bad Boys for Life. And uh, and I'm not alone in that either. It's been getting really good reviews across the board. And, well, for the most part. And um, someone said, you know, that's, is, is it a coincidence that when Michael Bay leaves the Transformers franchise, it gets good. <laughs> and then he leaves this franchise and it gets good good or coherent and easy to follow and meanwhile he's making frankly one of the worst films of recent times in Six Underground mm. which is the absolute apotheosis of his frenetic shuddery jittery fast cutting style and I'm beginning to think now you remember you said 
when you saw the love guru, you were so convinced that <laughs> that it was so terrible that you were, you I began to, to yeah. doubt whether Austin Powers was funny, and like you had I, to go back and rewatch it. I was it. like, was Wayne's World good in the first yeah. place? Like, I don't even, I can't so even trust that. I'm now beginning to think where even the Michael Bay films that we liked, like The Rock and no, Armageddon, were no, they never, never doubt The Rock? No, were The Rock is good. Luke's in a weird way. I, I was actually thinking of The Rock at one point last night because there's a point where there are some bad guys and some good guys. Spoilers, guys. There's some bad guys and some good guys. And there's a firefight, mm-hmm. and one side has the higher ground. And I was thinking the shower scene in The Rock. Do you remember that? That was oh, great. Yes, love that. Yeah. The Rock is so fucking. The Rock it is, is good, so but, good. I, but sometimes I'm thinking, is it good despite Michael Bay? Rather <laughs> Maybe. Than because Maybe. Of that's him. possible. No, that's possible. Is Armageddon good despite Michael Bay instead of because of him? Uh, the evidence is pretty overwhelming to the to <laughs> you know in that regard. I would say. Maybe. Know. Anyway, listen. Anyway, exhibit A, is, bad boys for life. So, except, okay, except, so except B, six underground. Um, yeah. So I went into this with quite low expectations. Mm. I'm not a fan of the, the first floor. two movies. Yeah. Um, I, I know the bad boys two is eulogised in in hot fuzz, but I don't share the views of Danny Butterman. Um, and I I think the first one's decent. It's okay. It's fine. Um, but I, 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 I entered the room with some trepidation. Uh, and in fact, at one point, Helen, you know, I arrived quite late and there, mm-hmm. were, there were no seats because the room was jammed and I thought I was going to have to leave and, oh, well, oh, well, shame. Uh, and then somehow a seat became available and I, I took my seat. And, uh, and then the first five, ten minutes, I was like, oh, this is actually all right. This is, this is pretty good. Then it begins to lock into a rhythm. And the, the long, it's like one of those lovely experiences, lovely surprises. And uh, I, I think Jum, the first Jumanji, the second Jumanji, the, the most recent new Jumanji. The middle was Jumanji. One of those, the middle Jumanji was another <laughs> nice experience where I went along with my expectations in the toilet, which is never a good place to store your expectations, but there you go. And uh, I came out of it going, ah, it's actually a really good film. I really enjoyed that. You know, and, and as the movie progresses, you're going, please don't fuck this up because you're actually, you know, can you, can you stick the landing? Which would be no, no, it's a gymnast reference. Um, and it kind of does. What's interesting about this movie is, yes, there is chemistry between Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. But what's interesting about it is that it challenges that status quo. Not necessarily that it tries to break them up, but it, 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 it's a movie that basically says to Will Smith, who is the cool, swaggering, bulletproof Mike in his sharp suits and he's looking cool and slick and cut and he's driving his fast cars. And it's a movie that basically says, you are, you're built on sand and you have nothing about you other than your image and that's all you are. And there's nothing else to you. You have no family. You have only, as far as I can tell, one friend. And that's uh, Marcus <laughs> Burnett, played, of course, by Martin Lawrence. That's not and true. He has two friends. Joey Pants He is does. In this Joey Pants is back as Captain Captain. <laughs> and uh, he's a lot of fun in this movie as well. And basically this whole movie is people telling Will Smith to sort his shit out and that this toxic masculinity bullshit that he's been peddling for years uh, just won't fly anymore. And he needs to sort him get, get, sort your fucking life out, mate. And that's what that's, that's what happens. And so it's a little deeper than I was expecting. Um, and I mean, it's we should be clear only a little bit. I mean, I wasn't <laughs> expecting to be deep at all. So like a shallow is fine. But I, I quite enjoyed that. It's very rare for, as I say in the um, in my review, I wrote. You know, it's very rare. It, you know, it, it's it's a film in which, you know, Martin Lawrence's character is basically saying, I don't want to be violent anymore. And then obviously circumstance forces him to take 
the law and guns into his own hands and it's a movie that has his cake and eats it too but the very fact that it is that it's even that it's even thinking about the calorie count in the first place is refreshing to me um, this, the chemistry between Lawrence and Smith is really good it's been a long time since Martin Lawrence has been on the big screen again he's probably not made the greatest films in the world but together they really really work mm-hmm. and there's some lovely jokes about the aging process and them getting older which really worked for me as well and it has a genuinely menacing bad guy who I thought was a, a an actual threat. I can't tell you the bad guy of the, of the previous two movies. I can't tell you what they're up against, apart from you know Michael Bay's madness. <laughs> and in this one, they actually have a legitimate threat uh, that's established in an interesting way early on. Mm. So I, I liked it. I thought you know I thought that, that it was uh, it was pretty funny, decent action sequences, mm. and good character work. Paula N- Nunez mm-hmm. deserves a mention as well as the sort of she does um, super cop type person who's got her new fancy computerized ways to to challenge their kind of old dog tricks. She's very kind of um, Carrie Ann Moss in the Matrix. I thought that might just be the haircut, if I'm honest. The haircut is very um, free her, yes. But uh, but she's I thought she was fabulous, um, and and her whole team, which is like Vanessa Hudgens and Alexander Ludwig and people like that, is is they're fun too. There there's some nice fun little character beats around the main two, which I think gives them something to play with as well, which is kind of fun. I don't know. And I, I enjoyed it. I, I probably maybe l- slightly less than you, but not much less. Oh, I think it's the greatest film ever made. Uh, so it's very hard okay, to be on wow. the same level as me. Yeah, I guess so. I, it's, it's one of those things. I came out of it last night and I went up to you and I went, was it just me or was that good? <laughs> he did. Like, what happened? Like, how did that, how did that happen? How is this good? How is it that you know this franchise has taken a break for seventeen years and come back and delivered the best, the best example of it? And it feels to me a little bit. I've, you know, I've seen other people say this as well. It feels a little bit like the the um, mutation of the Fast and Furious <laughs> franchise with Fast Five, which suddenly then became its own Gonzo thing. Mm. And you know, uh, there's there's some <clears throat> there's some suggestions here that they've been looking at Fast Five and looking at the Fast franchise, yeah, and taking some notes from it, which may, well, anyway. Yeah, we'll see how that works out. Some interesting but wrinkles. Some interesting um, wrinkles. Listen, it's not the greatest film ever made, uh, <laughs> but it is a lovely surprise, and I was uh, I was taken enough to give it four stars. So four stars in Bad Boys for Life, if you will, and uh, yeah, go and yeah. see it. All right, check it out. Tell me I'm wrong. Ride together, die together. That's what I say. Um, <laughs> there's a few other movies out this week, but we don't have a lot of time to get into it. There, we spent a lot of time talking about those three. Helen, you particularly want to mention very, very quickly in Dispatches. Yes, Be Natural, um, which is the story of Alice Guy Blachet, who was the first female director in history. Um, And possibly, arguably, this is discussed in the film, um, made the very first narrative movie. So after the Lumiere brothers, you know, did did their exhibition in December 1895, about three or four months later, she borrowed... And Monsieur Gaumont's ca- cameras, and basically did a little story about a fairy and a cabbage patch. Um, and it's potentially the first um, narrative film made anywhere. It's either her or Georges Méliès who was making ones around the same time. We're not going to get into it. Hmm. The point is, she was really, really early. Uh, she was Gaumont's head of production for ten years. She made possibly thousands of films um, while she was there and then went on set up her own studio in America in about 1912, made hundreds more there, um, was the first female director in the US to make a feature-length movie. She made like big biblical adaptations. She made kind of funny little comedies. Um, she's a fascinating, fascinating um, character who was essentially written out of history, li- quite literally in, when Gaumont came to write their own history. They just <laughs> left her out. Um 
But she was she quite literally, you know, was a was a major part of the early days of cinema. She was right there at the beginning, and um, and this is kind of the story about her life, and it's it's really really fascinating. Jodie Foster narrates it. Uh, they've done incredible research in the archives and just gotten into not just her surviving films, but also, you know, letters from family and mentos and so on and stuff about her life. Um, but it is really, really worth a look if you're interested in cinema history. So, yeah, be natural. Go see be it. Be natural. And then just very, very quickly this week, we have Waves, which is the latest film from Trey Edward Schultz. We gave that one four stars. And we have the return of Terence Malick for It Is He with his German language drama, A Hidden Life. And we also gave that four stars. Uh, but obviously us three idiots in this booth have not seen those films. Not yet. But, so. uh, but go online, go on the website, empireonline.com and check out the reviews and then go see them. We're also selling good. candles that smell like those films. So you can purchase those <laughs> as well. Well, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun. Well, we'll be joined by, hopefully, again, it's not confirmed yet, but Armando Iannucci co-writer and director of The Personal History of David Copperfield. Hooray. And, holy shit, it's Emilio Estevez. Amazing. Emilio motherfucking Estevez. No. It's not his full name, but sure. Uh, yeah, or it might be Robert Pattinson, or it might be Willem Dafoe, or Marielle Heller, or Bong Joon-ho. All of those are in the works, <laughs> and I have to get them squeezed into the next two episodes because of the live show. So that's a lot of fun, isn't it, folks? Anyway, look forward to that. That's going to be great. Ah! Why am I overbooked? Ha ha ha. Anyway, until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodley. <laughs> <laughs> it is goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye. Wow, that was a sharp was a, intake uh, yeah. of breath. What was that? It's a massive oh, intake of breath for a real like letdown of a goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> you thought I might sort of deliver it in song. Oh, yeah, goodbye. Goodbye. No? No. Okay. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to return these Gwyneth Paltrow pepper pots I just bought from Goop no. back to the shop. They, I don't know, guys. There's just something a little bit off about them. But anyway, thanks for listening. See you next week. Pepper pots, because she plays pepper pots. Yes, okay, I, no, I understood. We, it, we understood. Yeah. And they smell like her. Yeah, no. we got it. No, I wasn't going down there. Mm-hmm. Sure. Let's hope not. You are mucky-minded and you need to take your brain out of the gutter. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bye.